On a brisk March morning in Los Angeles, just 10 days before California would go on lockdown, my producer, Antonia Cerejido, and I did something that we had no idea would soon be a major health threat. We drove up to someone's home. No, es que, I mean, that house is, like, insane. So just, it looks like a haunted house. It looks like something out of, like, an old Victorian movie. There's, like, a spiral and, like, uh, peaked... Uh, Multiple peaks. But whatever it is, you always see them in a horror movie. <laughs> I mean, if I had to guess a place that looked like what I thought Kat Von D's house would look like, it's this. This is definitely it. From NPR and Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, a portrait of goth icon and tattoo artist Kat Von D. Covered in tattoos and always sporting fully black outfits, Kat Von D is the matriarch of America's first goth family. Born Catherine Von Drakenberg, Kat Von D first reached a wide audience when she was 23 years old, when she was cast on TLC's reality show, Miami Inc., in the mid-aughts. 20 seconds, ready, start. Oh. Oh. The show captured the goings-ons at a tattoo shop in Miami Beach. Cat was the first female cast member and tattoo artist, and she immediately became a fan favorite. About the tattoo that Kat did for me, she's amazing at everything she does, whether it's black or gray or color, and she just keeps raising the bar every day. Her tattoos would be hyper realistic, and she was good at drawing out her clients' personal stories. She became the most famous female tattoo artist in the world. This led to her getting her own spin-off show, L.A. Inc., which was set in her own tattoo shop in West Hollywood. Because I'm the boss, okay? And I'm so the show ended in 2011. Since then, Kat has launched her own shoe line and her own makeup line. And right now, she's working on recording her first ever album while in quarantine. Do you get to see the Kat's artistry is inextricable from her lifestyle. She lives the goth fantasy that she sells. And in the same way that people would tune into the black horror comedy sitcom The Addams Family in the 1960s for a bit of escapism. Nice place you've got here Wednesday. We like it. It's so nice and gloomy. <laughs> Today, people visit Kat Von D's Instagram to see pictures and videos of her living her real-life black horror sitcom. This even on each side? Yeah. Kat's more than 7 million followers watch her getting a haircut in her red lacquered bathroom that looks like a shrine to Satan. They can see Kat's husband, Cholo Goth icon, prayers, making their son giggle as he kisses his belly. While the outside of Kat's home is impressive, the inside is basically a museum to goth and religious iconography. And so I'd be lying if I said I wasn't very excited to be there. <laughs> All right, so what room are oh, we in now? Oh, this is just one of the guest rooms. The room has a huge wooden fireplace, ornately carved. Sure. What's on top of the fireplace? Those are all... Those are all just nuns. I, have, I, I love, like, different saints. I've always just been fascinated by saints um, just because, you know, there's... 
so much rich history and in, in the mysticism of saints. But yeah, I think a lot of people think I'm Catholic, but I don't identify Catholic at all. I just appreciate a lot of the artwork. And then, I, you know, there is something beautiful to be said about nuns because it doesn't matter what you're doing in life, but if you 110,000% dedicate yourself to something, I applaud you. And the whirlwind tour began. So what I did is I took like every room and kind of paid homage to my favorite eras or styles of the Victorian era. Powder blue room that's more in the French style. And then uh, this is this, this is like the black and gold bathroom. We got black toilet paper. <laughs> this is the master bedroom. So we have like a, an artist who all like the murals of like, it's all nocturnal animals. So there's like a little owl and then there's like moths and then you know, um, bats and stuff. And then this is the red bathroom. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then finally, we got to the room I was most looking forward to. This is the closet. It's a little bit of a mess, <laughs> but it's all organized. Hey, oh my my favorite color, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is black. And then there's the shoe closet. Oh, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> In the house, we saw crystal orbs, handmade Victorian lampshades, stained glass windows, a goth dream house. Apart from giving us the tour, Kat sat down with me to talk about her Mexican and Argentine roots, falling in love with tattoos, and how she feels, even though so much of her life is at people's fingertips, that there continues to be misconceptions about her. Kat Von D, welcome to Latino USA. Thank you so much for having me. Woo. How do you identify, actually? What I just identify Latina, Latina. I, because like, I always say, like, I'm a mixed-up Latina. Like, because I think, you know, everybody comes in, obviously, different shapes, forms, shades. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was born in Mexico, although my parents are from Argentina. So... Even my Spanish itself, like, I feel like I don't, I don't really have a sense of belonging when I go to either country because they're like, you sound funny, you know, it, I can't win anywhere, you know, but I kind of like that. I kind of like that I'm my own, my own person. And I mean, that's another reason why I love LA because you have such a melting pot of culture and subculture and like, it's, it's a really unique place and, and it's a different I, I guess, flavor than any other place. Like, you know, New York is different than here. You know, I, something about it here is it's, it's just a different energy. So I've always, I've always loved that because, you know, I do run into Argentinians that were born in Mexico, like the same story as me. And I'm like, oh, cool, I'm not alone, you know? But I feel, you know, not to diss my, my Argentinian heritage, but I do feel a, a deeper sense of connection to Mexico because that's where I was born. And it's the people I'm the most around. And so, um, I don't know, it's a different energy that I just connect with a, a little bit more. But I mean, I think Argentina is very European influenced, whereas I feel like with Mexico, it's more, I feel a deeper connection to like an indigenous heritage, which is something that really strikes a chord for me. So, but, but at the same time, you know, there's places and my mom just went back to visit family and stuff and she went, she wanted to go see the penguins, you know, and there's so much beautiful, rich indigenous culture there too, that's being forgotten. You were born in Monte Morelos, Mexico. And I'm like, where is Monte Morelos? I know. I, I usually tell people Monterrey because that's like the nearest city. It's in Nuevo León. And Monte Morelos is like a little pueblito, like southeast of it. It was nice. I mean, it was very rural. We were there because my, my father was finishing all his doctor stuff. He, he comes from a long line of missionary doctors. So they go to places that need 
medical assistants that don't have any. And so I remember my, my dad always tells the story of driving through and seeing this like rolling hills of just little little cruces, you know, like all dead children. And he was like, what's happening here? And it's like, there was no medical attention given. So my dad would go to these places and just basically build clinics there, set them up and then move on to the next one. And you know, all for free. <laughs> and so that's how we were born in in that little tiny town, which I loved. I, I still look back and think those were some of my happiest times because they were quite simple. You know, our floors were made out of packed dirt. You know, one of my favorite childhood photos of me is me in a bucket splashing around, just having the time of my life. And that's because we literally had no running water. You moved to LA when you're five. You had some really rough times there. Oh yeah. What happened? You know, what happened is that I just Never felt like I belonged, not even within my own family unit. You know, I was a straight-A student and gifted and talented and like all this other, you know, excelling programs. And to them, it was, you know, they were really concerned with what the church thought and what their friends thought of, you know, our appearance. In my early teens, I discovered punk rock music. You know, I saw these images of women on covers of records that were shaved their heads and had mohawks and they just... They were fighting for something and, and they were fighting against the norm. And I, I was like, I relate to this, you know? And so I responded deeply with, with these outsiders. You know, then I, I did the same thing. I shaved my head and got a mohawk and I was wearing black lipstick and all this other stuff. And it terrified my parents. They're not Americanized. They weren't Americanized at the time. You know, they come from a different culture, a different place and uh, very religious. So like to them, it was like, are we losing our daughter to Satan, basically, you know? And it pushed me even further away. And so I felt like I wasn't loved. And I I don't blame them. The tattoos. Uh-huh. You said you got your first one when you were 13? 14. 14. Yeah. So tell me what it was. What what was it? And I did just have my eyebrows yeah. done. So that is the closest thing <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah. To understanding a little bit of maybe what the pain is. Yeah. Maybe a little no, bit. No, it's totally different. But tell me then but, about... But, you know, when I got... My first tattoo was an old English J for my first love ever. His name was James. I was 14. He was 16. And, you know, we ran away together and we had a forbidden love. And, like, from my, our parents were like, you know, you guys can't date. And he looks crazy. And, you you know, they were just worried. And so I was like, well, I don't want to have to choose between my family and my love. But I can't imagine, you know, when you're 14, you're just like this is it, you know? And well, we, we dated for three years, you know, and we went on some amazing adventures. That, that was probably the, one of the most pivotal times in my teenage years because it's when I started tattooing. So it was this sense of freedom, you know? I was like, oh, I don't have to do this. I can do this and that's okay. And, you know, then we eventually broke up and, and I would just tell people the J stands for just kidding. <laughs> But uh, no, I, 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 when I look at my old tattoos, I think fondly of the landmarks in time. A lot of people have regrets. And for me, it's more just like, okay, cool. Like this is where I was at back then. That's, that's okay. You know, we just move on and it's fine. But explain to me the relationship of a tattoo for you in particular. Yeah, for me, it's a lot different than I think a lot of, I can't speak for everybody, especially tattooers, because I think tattooers have a d very different perspective on, on tattooing than I do. I'm an emotional nostalgic type person, sentimental in a lot of ways. So I like to get things that mean something to me. So I remember I had my mom tattoo me. This is actually an interesting story because I went back to, to Monte Morelos for the first time in 21 years. 
And I took my mom with me. And I remember there was, we were at this big convention and there's all these fans there. And I was like, I had my tattoo machine there. I was like, mom, I want you to tattoo me in front of everybody. My mom is never, she doesn't, you know, she's not a tattoo person. And she was like, what? She put her little glasses on and she just did it. She's like, what do you want to get? And I was like, well, I always like thought it was the cutest thing. My mom, when she got her first car in America, her license plate said Repiola. It's an Argentinian term, like, you know, like really cool chick or whatever. And so I was like, mom, why don't you tattoo Repiola on me? And so she was like, okay. And so it looks like, you know, a three, a drunk three-year-old did it. <laughs> but I love it. To me, it's one of the most special tattoos. It's a special moment making a full circle in my life and then celebrating it with my mother. And it was, I don't know, I, I, like that kind of stuff... I love that kind of stuff. It's not about the, even about the art itself. It's more about the moment or the landmark in time. Coming up on Latino USA, I continue my conversation with Kat Von D. Stay with us, no te vayas. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp, the online counseling service dedicated to connecting you with a licensed counselor to help you overcome whatever stands in the way of your happiness. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a professional tailored to your needs. And if you aren't satisfied with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time free of charge. Visit BetterHelp.com Latino to get 10% off your first month. Get the help you deserve with BetterHelp. Whenever you face a choice, it helps to think like an economist. And this week on Planet Money Summer School, we'll start off our course in economics with a workout for your brain. How to decide what something truly costs. Listen now to Planet Money from NPR. Hey, we're back. And today we're spending time with goth icon, tattoo artist, and musician Kat Von D. Kat was 22 and living a punk rock lifestyle, partying, traveling, tattooing, when a friend asked her if she'd be interested in being on a new reality TV show, Miami Inc. At the time, the the show was a completely male casted show. There was no females on it. I really didn't have any interest in being on the show, but I was like, you know, I would hate it for the network to hire a female artist based on her looks, because that's usually what they do. You know, if you're hot, they don't care if you're good or not, you know. So in 2005, Kat joined the show. And due to her booming popularity, she became the face of women tattooers. Do you want me to draw something up for you and then I'll show it to you and tell me what you think? We could take it from there. Kat's rise to fame in the mid-aughts coincided with the mainstreaming of tattoo culture. The reality show franchise she was a part of, Ink Master, brought the world of tattooing from local shops into living rooms across America. We have seen the nation's top tattooers battle for the title of Ink Master. But tattoo shops weren't the only kind of business getting the reality show treatment. There was American Chopper, set in a motorcycle shop. It says, need to be here at 7 o'clock. Next day, 
7.40, you come in. Bikini Barbershop set in a hair salon. I'm more relaxed. I'm just going to talk nice to you. I don't want you to cut my head off. No, <laughs> and even lizard lick towing set in a towing company. I'm here to pick up my car and pick up my fur coat that was taken from me this morning. It was a Mercedes Benz. We need her coat back. We need it back now. A very specific kind of celebrity was proliferating. The American entrepreneur reality star. You're fired. Central to maintaining relevance in this space is not just hard work and talent, but also scandal, something Kat Von D and many in her circle are no strangers to. In 2010, she was briefly engaged to biker and reality star Jesse James. That year, photos of James wearing Nazi regalia and doing the Nazi salute were leaked. That whole Jesse James Nazi picture was just a big misunderstanding. It was a joke. That was funny then, probably for a minute. And from 2003 to 2007, Kat was married to fellow tattoo artist Oliver Peck. Peck went on to become a judge on Ink Master. But recently, he was let go after past photos of him in blackface were leaked. I want to understand how Kat feels about these past tumultuous relationships and how they fit in with her experience of growing into herself. And just a warning that this part of the conversation contains language some might find offensive. So I want to ask you about something back to the relationships. Yeah. So your first husband, Oliver Peck, you've been divorced for over a decade. Recently, it turned out just in January that he was kicked off of Ink Master because these photos of him in blackface appeared. Mm. And I'm just wondering, like, when you were with him, we've talked a lot about identity. Mm. Like, how did that come up in a relationship? I mean, I definitely, I mean, I don't mind talking about stuff. You know, I have nothing nice to say about that person. So it's, you know, when you don't have anything nice to say, it's better to not say anything at all. You know, you know, I got married completely wasted when I was in my 20s to a person that I had met that week. I didn't know him at all. You know, the next day when I came to consciousness, I, I felt like, you know, maybe because my parents had instilled this idea of like divorce is not an option, you know, like it, within the church, it's not okay. And so I just, you know, kind of brainwashed, went forward with continuing to be married for as long as I possibly could before realizing, oh, this is the most toxic, awful decision I've ever made. And then I, I you know, I I got a divorce, which was really, it was such an ugly, just terrible experience. You know, that was back when I was deeply in my drinking and drug abuse days. And it wasn't until I got divorced and that it was maybe that next year that I got sober, actually. So I don't really have anything to say about him because I don't I don't follow him or do or anything. It's more like when I think about because when I think about you as the way you move in the world, yeah. so clear about your identity. And then I think about like him or even Jesse James, who have kind of the issue of Nazi, white supremacy, that, and I'm trying to put oh. those, that's oh. what I'm trying to understand. Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I don't mind talking about all those rumors because I've been having to deal with them for so long. You know, I think there's rumors that people think I'm a Nazi or, or associated with Nazism in any way. And you know, I can understand where the rumors come from. So basically, back in the day when I, I got onto Miami Inc., I was 22 years old, and I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. And so 
the ratings came back and people loved me. And the publicists were like, hey, we need to give you more airtime. And eventually that led to my own spinoff show. But as the production process began for Kat's own show, LA Inc., tensions arose with the Miami Inc. crew. One of the cast members, I think he just felt threatened. And so at that very beginning stage of filming LA Inc., this this cast member decided to try and sabotage the process and released an 8x10. It was a photo of me, and he wrote some anti-Semitic things on it. The 8x10 was an autographed photo of Kat that was supposedly addressed to her former boss, Amy James. It read, burn in hell, Jew bag. And he went to the network and said, hey, if you don't cancel Kat Von D's show, I'm going to go public with this 8x10. And this was obviously forged. And so we, you know, because if it wasn't, I would have gotten canceled. It's still, you know... It, it comes up in Google searches and it comes up in interviews. And I always think now that I have a son, like, you know, eventually I'm going to have to sit down and talk to him and tell him the truth of things before he reads it or hears, hears it through somebody else. Because, you know, those are things that are so out of line with, you know, how I feel and my perspective on the world. What I would like to say is, obviously, I am not a Nazi. I'm not a Nazi sympathizer. I'm not a, a white supremacist. I'm not any of those things. What's it like to be a Latina artist in the year 2020 when, frankly, being Latino, being Mexican, being immigrant, it's a particular challenge right now? I love it. I embrace it. I think it's, um, you know, this is our opportunity to put something positive on the map. But, you know, I hope that I'll be able to write some music and talk about the things that are important about the environmental issues, about animal rights and about, you know, immigrant rights. And I feel like... um, I think it's empowering, you know. I'm not I'm not scared of that adversity. I think that that's something we should all be excited to stand up for right now, especially. <laughs> Kat, it has been so wonderful to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh man, the, the honor, pleasure, that's 100% mine. Thank you. Before we left, we got the opportunity to meet the mini prince of darkness, Cat's son, Leofar. <laughs> Leofar had on a onesie with a skeleton print on it. Leofar kept reaching towards the microphone. <laughs> He's like, just give me that. I think we know what you want to do. It's with her son and her husband that Kat feels most understood. She's really proud of the goth world her family has built for themselves. It's not always happy around here. You know, I got so much backlash this last few years and stuff that was a really big challenge. But at the end of the day, like, you know, when I'm when I get quiet, not allowing that to to outshine all the beauty that was happening in our house, you know. This episode was produced by Antonia Cerejido and edited by Sofia Palizaca and Luis Treyes. The Latino USA team includes Miguel Macias, Janice Yamoca, Julieta Martinelli, Ginny Montalvo, Alisa Escarcen, and Alejandra Salazar, with help from Raul Perez. Our engineers are Stephanie LeBeau and Julia Caruso. Additional engineering this week by Leah Shaw. 
Our director of programming and operations is Natalia Fidelholtz. Our digital editor is Amanda Alcantara. Our New York Women's Foundation Ignite Fellow is Julia Rocha. Our interns are Sofia Sanchez and Marie Mendoza. Our theme music was composed by Zenia Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again on our next episode. And in the meantime, you can find us on all of your social media. Remember, stay safe. Ciao. Latino USA is made possible in part by Carnegie Corporation, promoting the advancement and diffusion of knowledge and understanding. New York Women's Foundation. The New York Women's Foundation, funding women leaders that build solutions in their communities and celebrating 30 years of radical generosity. And the Wincoat Foundation. Okay, this is like really <laughs> delicious on my toes. I know, right? <laughs> what is this, cat? <laughs> it's just a carpet. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, what can a congressional election in the Bronx tell us about the direction of the Democratic Party? It turns out a lot. There have been few candidates in the race who have spent more time attempting to assassinate my character as an LGBTQ candidate than that of Ruben Diaz Sr., who is a vicious homophobe. That's next time on Latino USA. 